Hello and welcome to Raising Learners, a conversation about supporting your child's learning at school and at home. Throughout this series, we'll discuss a range of questions. How to have a great relationship with your child's school and teacher. How to keep your child safe online and navigating those sometimes challenging final years of high school. My name's Derek McCormick and I'll be the host for today's episode. To begin with, on behalf of the team here, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we meet as we record this conversation today. For me, where I am, this is to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Today, I'm joined by Vicky Ryle, Executive Director, Clinical Practice at Headspace, and Mary Sayers, CEO, Children and Young People with Disability Australia. It's great to have you, Vicky. Mary? Okay, let's get into it. Today we're talking about supporting social development. So this idea of supporting your child's social and emotional development is an important part of being a parent, but it's also an important part of school and learning for kids. Can you talk to us about you know, what's important for social development at different ages and stages and how parents who are listening to us today can play a supportive role with that development? So Mary, would you like to kick off with some thoughts on that? Thank you very much, Derek. And social and emotional development for children with disability is such a crucial uh, element of their lives. And one of the things that many families may face in the early years is their child might have some difficulties with communication. So that might seem to be a barrier to social and emotional development. However, there's a whole range of ways that families in those early years before school can support uh, the social and emotional development of their children. And obviously that um, interaction that they have with you is the most important adult in their lives. And those um, cues and conversations that you have with children are so critical at this time, but also exposing them to a whole range of different experiences. Things like community play groups, uh, early childhood education and care is really important um, in those early years before schools for building um, children with disabilities, social emotional skills. And then as they begin to transition to school, often families are really worried about the curriculum inclusion and is my child going to be able to keep up with the curriculum? But schools also play a really important role in promoting the social and emotional development. So having an individual education plan with the school is really critical to make sure it covers the elements of curriculum inclusion, but also how the school is going to support um, the the student with disability to develop those really important peer connections, which are so protective. Fantastic, Mary. So you've covered some really, really key points in, in that whole journey from the very early years through to transition through to the school environment. And then it continues on into the teen years, of course, with a bit of a disability focus for us there. Vicky, what would you add to that in terms of so the parents role supporting that, but also in the school setting and elsewhere? Yeah, um, I mean, I think Mary's comments are really valid for um, children with disabilities, obviously, and probably for all uh, children and young people. And I think it's useful for parents to uh, have a basic understanding of what's happening for uh, adolescents in terms of development. And we think about it in sort of three big chunks. It's sort of physical development, so that's basic uh, puberty uh, uh 
development of secondary sex characteristics, etc., um, and um, the emotional components of that, which are, none of these are separate, of course, um, and then the kind of uh, intellectual cognitive developments. Um, and they're uh, important and I think really exciting. I think lots of parents... Um, really buy into some sort of mythology around, you know, I'm going to be rejected and it's going to be terrible. Um, I really encourage uh, families to think about it as an incredible journey to watch a young person become who they're going to be. Or, you know, obviously that's not a static journey. It doesn't finish at the end of adolescence, but um, to embrace it as, as much as possible. I think it's really helpful to remember how dramatic those changes are in your body and how self-conscious uh, young people feel through that time. And we've all, it's a generation apart, but we've all been adolescents. Um, and so it's a tricky balance between not assuming your young person's experience is the same as yours, but also remembering you don't know nothing about it. I, I uh, whatever metaphor works for you, but I, I think about the role of families or parents um, a little bit like a, a sort of an anchor. Um, and your job is to, it's not dissimilar to when they start crawling away from you and they're looking back and, and trying to work out, you know, is this safe to crawl over here? Um, and and um, so it's the same thing, but in a completely different life stage. Uh, they need to be able to come back and be children and go out and try out being adults. That's a difficult balance. So if you're feeling thrown around by that, totally reasonable feeling to have. Um, uh, it is also very normal. That is part of them working out how, how can I step away and become who I am and is your job to be there as the parent when they come back as children and support them to go out and say, you're okay, it's going to be all right. Mm, what you're saying there is some great thoughts about having a sense of what's happening developmentally uh, it helps. So there's lots of information. A Raising Children Network has a lot of stuff around the teens there, but it's in those three categories, physical, intellectual, and emotional, and they're all connected. Um, in terms of the social connections, the social development, and how that's very linked to the emotional well-being, uh, any other thoughts or additional uh, considerations for children who might be feeling different? Now, there's many kinds of difference. It might be that they're feeling different in themselves, or they're exploring new identities, or it's a gender identity difference that they're feeling. Um, other considerations around that, and how parents can be supportive in that situation as well. Again, I, I really encourage people to explore those those concepts, whether that's relevant for their particular young person. Most young people in this generation will come across friends or classmates or student other co-students that um, have some gender uh, questioning. So things like that, I think, are very current at the moment. And there's some fantastic information probably on the Raising Children Network, but also um, the, uh, across the internet on that. Remembering the process of individuation and forming identity is a process of differentiating yourself. Um, 
And again, take yourself back in your mind. That is what we all do. So how am I the same as others? How am I different to others? Um, and so factors like gender identity, sexuality, uh, abilities, etc., are one element of those things. But the reflection about um, inclusion, exclusion is part of the identity exploration. Um, it's very difficult for parents, um, and I am not excluding myself in this, the concept of your young person feeling left out um, is a very painful experience as a parent. Um, it's yours to manage um, inside yourself <laughs> um, rather than uh, getting involved in that experience with your young person. Um, they will manage it. Feeling left out is a normal part of life. Um, it's not pleasant. So I think acknowledging sitting with your young person and talking about how they are and how they're connecting and what you really want to see is uh, some bounce back from that. So um, whether it's related to identity or not, um, today I feel left out and tomorrow I can go back in and have another go. Um, now where um, bullying and exclusion are more relevant is if, if you're not seeing that bounce back, if you're not seeing ability to go back in or are you seeing repeated left out um, targeted behaviour from one person to your young person or from your young person if that's the case. Um, and that's another very difficult thing for parents to um, recognise that their young person might be being mean to others. Um, I, I think one of the things that's interesting, um, I'm keen to hear what Mary says, that with the rise of psychoeducation around things like bullying, which is crucial, um, the nuance of that is, is actually slightly more difficult. So children um, in primary school are coming home saying I'm bullied when perhaps actually their experience is actually of someone being mean to them. Um, so to try and sit with that and work out uh, what's a one-off thing and what's a more targeted ongoing experience I think is really important. And what I think is the most critical is validating their experience of not feeling good. Um, bullying is a consistent, targeted, uh, ongoing experience and should be taken very seriously and reported to the school. Being mean as a one-off thing is, is very normal in how people are trying to work out who they want to be. Uh, as part of identity exploration. And of course, I'm presenting those two things like they're completely separate and they're not. Um, but um, it, it's a very difficult experience. Many schools now are doing fantastic jobs of inclusion around um, uh, gender identity, sexuality, culture, uh, religious uh, forming groups uh, of um much more celebration and honouring of those different experiences. But that doesn't mean those individuals don't still experience discrimination. So Mary, some great thoughts there on um, difference, uh, particular kinds of difference and what parents can be doing. And that wonderful idea of sometimes letting your child manage what's happening while you sit with that um, difficult experience that you're seeing. Other thoughts you have, Mary, and, and perhaps related to other kinds of difference as well. 
Look, I think it's really important um, to understand that um, children and young people with disability do have multiple identities and it's a really important part for them to explore their multiple identities. So often we look at um, children with disability or children and young people with disability in very one-dimensional ways and we recently held a National Youth Disability Summit which brought together 250 young people um, with disability from around the country and they are very comfortable with their multiple identities and can talk Um, very much as whether they're an Aboriginal young person with disability or a trans young person with disability. And I think um, a really important note for parents is often, um, and what we know from the social model of disability is disability comes from the structures and barriers um, outside the child or young person that are disenabling. And so often parents of children and young people with disability have to fight really hard for the inclusion of their child in a whole range of settings. So this poses a number of challenges for families because often they're fighting for their rights of their child or young person, yet at the same time, children and young people with disability need the same things as everyone else. They need to have the same experiences. They need to be able to take risks. They need to be able to help explore their identity. And that's often very hard for um, families of um, children with disability because they're so used to fighting for the rights of their child. And often their natural, um, and I'm a parent of a child with a disability who's now a young man, I know that feeling of having to fight for his rights, but also about letting him go and letting him make mistakes and letting him learn is really hard to let go of when you've worked really hard to have your child included. And I think um, touching on something uh, Vicky said around sexuality and um, understanding um, their own sexuality, and often that's a real taboo subject for um young people with disability and at our National Youth Summit we had a session on um, sexual health and for many young people, um, some of whom were over 18, that was the first time that they'd talked about um, their sexuality in a safe way. And so I think it's a really important reminder that we're led by young people with disability and what they want is to have the same experiences as everyone else, to be able to take risks and to have peers. And as children and grow into adolescent and into young people, the protective thing about them having social connections and peers um, is so crucial, just like everyone else. And it's really hard to let go um, and let them take those risks, particularly if they've got um, high support needs and high care, and you're concerned about their safety. So that um, I loved what Vicky said um, because it equally imply, applies to young people with disability and to trusting that they're going through a normal developmental phase just like everyone else. I agree wholeheartedly with um, Vicky in skill yourself up in what is child and adolescent development and what is um, important for all children because it's equally important for children and young people with disability. And then on the point of bullying as well, and I think that's a really um, important one because students with disability are 
overrepresented in our research on being bullied. And so one of the picking up on um, on what Vicky said in terms of having a dialogue with your child about whether it's a one off, but um, unfortunately, we do know for students with disability, it can be more systemic. And so I think that's about having a really important relationship with the school to actually be able to share those concerns. And how is the school promoting a culture of inclusion? And it kind of harks back to what Vicky said around the parent job. You're, you're being a parent for your child when, when they are back with you, when they are with you. And that includes advocating for their voice. It might include looking for those systemic supports. And then you're also remembering to let them go and, and encourage them to experience things and have those uh, open, uh, perhaps, opportunities for some risk-taking in a safe way. A quick question on social connection and screens. What can parents do to engage with their kids around screen time and social connection? After all, it's been quite a different time uh, in the last few months. I would say uh, it's different. It is absolutely a different time for them. There's also an enormous amount more information um, now about what's going on. So inform yourself. Um, Inform yourself about the social media platforms they're using. Um, That is part of their social world. to uh, avoid that, um, someone said this to me years ago, um, you wouldn't have allowed your young person 10, 15 years ago to play basketball every week and never go there and never know anything about what happened there. And avoiding social media platforms is is a bit like that. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be on TikTok with your young person it's just really about making sense of what they're doing um, and having open conversations about how they're using it, the dangers, your concerns. Um, it's also helpful as a relationship builder, which is important in social emotional development, for your young person to be in a position to teach you about their world. Um, Mm. and you engage in it in that learning way. What we've learned from the COVID pandemic is that um, many students with disability weren't um, equipped with the technology and the skills around um, digital communication. And in the future world, um, all young people are going to need to be able to communicate with Um, their peers in a workplace in online environments so making sure for um, children and young people with disability as part of their education they're learning those skills and we've learned a huge amount about digital inclusion and how do you make sure that you're helping um, you know through connections you know with with family over zoom or, or different mechanisms in building those skills for young people to connect with each other online and including in social media we were into this question now around um social development and connection and inclusion in the context of social distancing thoughts you have on that yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really difficult. I always try and start for uh, parents in particular, think about the relationship you have with the person and um, emotionally connecting with them first and then the sort of wash second. So um, think in the context of COVID and um, um, supporting their social connection, um, 
you know, lots of open listening. Um, sometimes um, the most supportive thing to do is doing very little, <laughs> um, but being with um, and attending. Um, and that's hard when when your uh, young person is feeling a whole range of things and, and you yourself are also feeling a whole range of things. Um, so I think in an ideal world, and, and we have heard this um, in some of our research, um, it, during COVID, uh, uh, Headspace surveyed, I think, 4,000 young people. And what was really wonderful is it was 83% of them went to their families first as support. And we can see from all sorts of data that people's mental health during um, lockdown um, associated with COVID has has really suffered and, and will likely continue to suffer. Um but remember that your young person is generally speaking coming to you first. Um, so having a reflection on what you're doing to socially connect and how visible that is to your young person, how you're looking after yourself um, is a really useful thing to think about. Uh, stop uh, and listen to what their experiences is, uh, explore with them how they would like to manage that. But um, if you as an adult are finding all sorts of different ways to connect with family and friends, then that's fantastic. Uh, remember that during adolescence, what you do as a parent is one of the most important things in, in how you support your young person. So I think there's lots of open dialogue. What can we do together as a family? What do you need to do as an individual to connect? And just continuing those conversations openly. Mm. So we, starting with the feeling of what it is that we want to have, it's, it's very helpful. And then it's about the what, which might be age dependent and the principle being, let's keep talking, whatever the age of the child is, let's keep talking about how we can connect and find some creative ways. Mary, what would you add to that around the social distancing world uh, parts of Australia are in or have been in? and parents supporting social connection. One of the things that we learned, we conducted some research during the COVID pandemic on the experience of students with disability. And um, what we found is that schools um, didn't, always provide the reasonable adjustments that were needed to include students in the curriculum. But the really good piece out of the research was that when schools made a really purposeful effort at including the students socially in things like the Google Classrooms or the Zoom or the, the WebEx classes or whatever it was, and students felt connected to their peers those students did really well. So I think that lesson from the COVID um, experience tells us about the importance of social inclusion for students. And so um, when young people are included in their education, when there's peer-to-peer -peer learning activities that happen, so that's really important as we think about the transition back from remote learning and potentially any future periods of social distancing we may have in the future, that the curriculum inclusion is really key. 
but you cannot forget the social inclusion. And so parents have a really key role in both helping to facilitate that. So are they organising catch-ups through online mechanisms with um, the students, but also in terms of thinking about that individual education planning that happens when you're meeting with the school is making sure that the adjustments that are made um, are also about facilitating those peer connections. How is the school working when you're not around to facilitate those social connections, whether it be within the classroom or things like um, in in recess and, and lunchtime as well? That's fantastic. Thank you, Mary. And you've helped connect us back to that earlier thought around um, working with the school to focus on academic side of support, but also critically then the social uh, supports and inclusion. And the other thing you've helped us with is is to uh, already start on our last question, because <laughs> the last question on our list is to think about moving back into uh, more structured learning environments, physical learning environments, at post situations like COVID, or just transitioning into learning environments generally. Vicky, other thoughts you have on this one? This is around what's possible from a parent's point of view, from a practical point of view, to help with transitions. Yeah, look, I think it's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that we need to think about as a whole of community, parents, schools, um, everybody is particularly the transition years. Um, so current grade sixes, current year sevens, because they uh, particularly in Victoria, will have missed out on most of their first year of high school. Um, and, of course, the year 11 and 12s. Um, thinking about the usual markers um, for any of those transition years, um, so uh, graduations from primary school, um, closing out your, your primary school education, what parents might be able to do if schools are unable to have uh, in-person graduations, which in um, many states they will be able to, but in Victoria that's unlikely. Um, and thinking about what rituals you might be able to do as, a, as family and friends and engage other people in um, acknowledging those transitions. Um, and the same thing applies to this re returning to the classroom. Um, open conversations, uh, hearing about um, you, are you excited, are you nervous, um, both are normal um, and um, how do you maintain open dialogue around that? Um, I, you know, it's that sort of how do you reflect on um, what it's been like to be at home, the good, the bad, the ugly and um, likewise what, what, will, what will that mean in changing? So for lots of people um, uh, that maybe are more introspective or anxious um, and I don't mean with an anxiety disorder necessarily but just anxious, then returning might be much more difficult and require a fair bit more scaffolding from the home um, uh, for other kids who have been extroverts, uh, lockdown may be more difficult. They, you know, rush out the door to get back to school, but then find that, in fact, when they get there, um, they forgot all about social complexities and how difficult that is emotionally. So I, I think, again, um, remember that there is a role as a parent to um, be the place your young person comes back to and uh, that they know you're going to keep asking 
um, whether they are ready to talk or not um, and noticing how how they are I think anything that happens at the moment is 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 normal um, being scared being excited being relieved being disappointed um, all of those things are relatively normal but also keep your uh, your ears and eyes open for changes. I think also for families to check in with schools around how how they're experiencing the young person when they're when they're there is is really useful. Mm-hmm. So some great thoughts, Mary. Your last thoughts on this question. You know, practical takeaway ideas for parents when children are transitioning or just generally dealing with social connection. Look, I think a really um, important lesson that um, Vicky talked about is not passing your own anxiety um, about what's happening for your child onto the child. So not projecting, you know, as a parent, you are naturally worried how they're going to go. And this um, period has been absolutely um, amplified in terms of concern, but it also speaks to other really important transitions. And the transition from primary school to um, secondary school is a really difficult one because you're often going from a really highly personalised environment in um, primary school to a much larger setting where um, there's less of those relationships. And so it's really a tricky time um, for that transition for students with disability. And I think um, one thing is, you know, when they come home from school, often it's a time where they just need to have a little bit of breathing space. And and I was guilty of this myself as a parent, trying to quiz them. How was your day? Who did you talk to? You know, and things like that. But just sitting with the discomfort that um, your child may be experiencing. And it's very hard because you do worry a lot about your children and you only want the best for them. But sitting with that discomfort and letting them and giving them that space, a bit of quiet time um, and unwinding time when they get home from um, school, particularly at those key transition points, I think is really important. And um, kids will come to you when they feel a bit more relaxed. So don't the minute you pick them up from school start quizzing them with 120 questions I think would be my final advice because um, as a parent who went through this with my own child it's a natural temptation but I learned that um, my son just needed that time to unwind and relax and the quiet space Um, and and those relationships um, are sometimes really tricky and hard to navigate and so often you need that time as a, a young person to really digest that before you can talk about it. So if your child doesn't open up straight away, don't be too concerned. Just give them the space um, and then you'll know when the time is right. When they're feeling more relaxed, then that's the time to have the chats. Excellent. So take those opportunities and keep the lines open and maybe sometimes sit with the silence a little bit while your child's really processing a lot after a day. Fantastic. Um, Maybe just some last one or two tips that you'd like to offer parents listening on social and emotional connection for their children. Last point that I'd like to make is that um, children and young people with disability need to have the same experiences as their non-disabled peers. And so your role as a parent is really working with your child, the school, to make sure that they can have the same rites of passage, the same risk-taking that other children, and I mean safe risk-taking, but 
being exposed to a whole range of experiences and they can experience the fullness of life. In terms of maintaining openness, which I think is the best avenue that families have to support their young people through social emotional development, uh, get to know yourself. So the use of uh, statements about yourself so thinking about what Mary said around not jumping on your young person to say, how's your day? What's going on? How are your friendships, um, et cetera, which is what parents often want to do, but is to say, I'll try and leave you alone for a bit or I want to know how your day was. Those sorts of awareness statements, you can give your young person a message of, I love you and care about you and want to know, but I'm I'm going to manage myself and um you can come to me when you're ready. The other um, tip that I think is really helpful to remember, and most parents already know this, but remember that doing things side by side um, is often a really good opener. So whether it's teaching a young person to drive, doing some cooking together, doing some gardening together, but they're sort of slightly shifting away from the looking into each other's eyes. um, But Uh, can just open up some space for some more conversations. And really, um, so what what I I guess the message that sits over both of those is how can you maintain um, open relationships and communication as much as possible? Um, My third and last thing is trust yourself and your relationship. Um, Moments of doubt within that are fine, absolutely normal. Um, sort of arrive with being a parent I think but uh, you know your young person uh, trust the relationship if you're worried it's legitimate to be worried and check um, yeah so I think they're my final comments thanks mm, Derek mm, mm. yeah and I, I like it that last one especially when you're trusting your relationship you're also trusting when you feel something is off not simply trusting the relationship to to carry everything through but knowing through it that something's off. That's been a really rich discussion. So a huge thanks to our to our guests, Vicky and Mary. And I, I think the things that really stick with me are some of the research that you guys brought in. For example, the, the Headspace survey around uh, young people still going to their parents and families for that safe harbor, for that connection first. And that's that's a very encouraging. And, and secondly, that that piece of work through Mary's organization where we learn from children about their voice and the importance of, of advocating for that. So um, fantastic. Thank you both and um, take care. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed listening, why not subscribe? Tell your friends. For more tips and information about the topics we've covered, visit raisingchildren.net.au and education.vic.gov.au. I also want to acknowledge the Department of Education and Training Victoria for their support in this series. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, take care.